0: Welcome back everyone to another episode of Pats Uncovered. Uh, I think every week at this stage I just get excited about another new guest. Uh, So Pats Uncovered is a podcast where I get to talk to fabulous people in tech and who have had really untraditional careers into how they actually managed to get to the tech world and it's just shining a light on all these underrepresented kind of careers in the world and today I've got a very exciting guest I've got Laura Summers with me and I will let her do her own introductions and stuff but she is very cool and I'm very excited
1: <laughs> thank you so much uh, it's a pleasure to be here and thanks for inviting me um, on the podcast um, I am currently working on a um, new startup called Debias AI, um, which is focusing on the problems of bias and uh, structural harms in, like, what I'll call, automated decision systems. But really, covers everything from business logic through to like deep learning. Um, so. That's a weird little niche that I've fallen into in the past couple years. But I've had a very strange, winding pathway through tech. Um, I've been a product design lead. I've been, uh, I've been QA. I wrote help docs. That my very first job was writing help docs. Um, I did a lot of design work for a number of years. Um, I've done a lot of design research. Um, uh, I've done a lot of front end. So I've I've just had a very strange career in tech and. Basically, through a combination of getting bored with what I was currently doing and just having great opportunities land in my lap, um, just kind of followed my nose a bit.
0: I like it. And I feel like that is definitely a recurring theme of people who've kind of ended up in tech. And I don't mean, I'm not a big fan of like, oh, I fell into it or ended up, like, you've done all the work to be able to fall into it is kind of the way I look at things at this stage. But a lot of the kind of precursors are usually just. I hated the way things were already working and I thought I could do it better or not just I could do it better I could fix it and it's like I mean Gwenny talked about this too she's like I was fixing this teaching platform and I could just do it better and I can do a better job of how to explain this and I just started doing it and I was like I love it it's very much kind of a running like niche throughout the whole thing where it's like yep it's just an interest and there's a there's some kind of problem here we can help fix up.
1: Absolutely um my my transition from design only skills to programming skills was literally me being just a control freak and being like, I know that you can do this, but you're being lazy and you don't want to cut up my design mock the way I asked and just like going home and like doing it in rage and being like, look, this is how you can do it. And then from there, I was like, oh, this programming thing is actually quite fun. I better learn how to do it.
0: I like it. So look, let's take it back a little bit into kind of high school. Like I know you've had a very different career from different like step to starting off so talking through high school kind of college times what was happening what were the decisions happening there
1: yeah for sure um so yeah I was I was actually listening to your podcast about the Juilliard dancer before and I was like oh it's a bit like me I was I was a very serious ballet dancer for a number of years um and I like from age sort of 10 ish until maybe 16 I was like I'm gonna be a dancer it's all I'm gonna do and I just had this very clear vision of my life and then sometime around 16 I was like actually I don't think I want to be a dancer. Oh no, (laughs) what do I do? And I just had no idea what to do with myself and then spent probably like honestly the next decade not really being sure what to do with myself, but then finding my way through it. Um, So I did a bachelor's of arts and I did kind of like that classic humanities degree. So um, I did an English degree with a focus on theater. Um, I did a lot of learning how to learn um, deconstructing texts. Um, I've always really liked fiction, so I read a lot of Hemingway and a lot of Fitz, Fitzgerald and a lot of, like, misogynist male authors, which I don't know why I read them now, but I was obsessed with them at the time. (laughs) Um, yeah. But at the same time, I was working in a computer lab to make ends meet, and I just had this fabulous boss, and she was just like here's some new RAM, go install it, and I was like, what does that mean? How do I do that? And I just, like, started pulling apart these PCs and working out, like, what the motherboard was and what the RAM was and, you know, like, what what all the different, like, pieces were and how they fit together, and that was actually, like, a really um, fun and, like, highly permissive environment to just let me tinker and learn how to do things, um, And having been someone um, who didn't grow up with computers, like I didn't have any computers at home as a teenager. It wasn't really like part of my world. I think I maybe touched one a couple of times to write a paper in high school, but that was about it. Um, So it wasn't really like even on my radar. Um, So just having this environment where my boss was like, oh, hey, um, yeah, go do that. That's a thing you need to do or go upgrade the operating system. I was like, what's an operating system? (laughs) Cool. Okay, let's work this out um Was yeah. was really great, and that that kind of um is maybe the the theme of my career is that I just had someone who was incredibly generous and let me just go play until I worked it out.
0: I love that, and I think it's just really funny when he's talked about like essentially just taking apart a PC. I remember one of my cousins did that. I was like very young; I was like seven or eight years old, and I just like was like sitting there watching him for a little bit, I was just like this is just boring <laughs> no I'm just gonna leave and I never thought about it again right and then like the whole ram stuff I genuinely still remember the first time I bought my own laptop which was probably sometime in college like I think up until then it' was like like me and dad I'm like that one looks pretty I'll have that one <laughs> um but I remember picking up that one and I was like what do these like numbers and gb like all this means and I never understood it until I actually started working in tech and I was like oh oh, now I get it. Like, I mm-hmm. knew the terms. I just didn't understand how it all worked. It's really funny. It's just, I mean, unless someone really pushes you into doing it, you're never going to actually figure it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of the reasons I'm a bit sad about all this closed box environment stuff we're seeing happening with, like, personal computing these days. We're just, we're not in a world where you can say, hey, just go take the case off of your MacBook Pro. Like, I, I did upgrade the RAM on, like, my previous box, but the one I have right now is from 2000 and. 14 so it's quite old <laughs> it really needs an upgrade um and i'm just I, i'm being a little bit of a like old persnickety person and like i don't want to get rid of it because i love it so much um but yeah like I, I was thinking gosh there's i can't think of a single box i could buy right now that i could just like take you know my micro screwdriver yeah. to and like pull the case open and take a look at the battery or take a look at anything under the motherboard
0: um, yeah i don't even know how i would do that to my macbook but yeah, now I'm questioning this. I'm like, uh, yeah. I just smash it on the ground? <laughs> so, ba- Okay, so you were working part-time in the computer lab and you're getting through college. Yeah. What was next for you? So, like, I mean, you've done a degree in English? Yeah. In liter- literature?
1: Yeah, English. English and with, like, it was, I mean, it was an arts degree. Uh, the major was English. The minor was theater, if you want to get um, specific. Yeah. But, you know, it was really just reading a lot of stuff I was interested in. Um, yeah, so that was I'm gonna I'm gonna date myself now. So prepare yourself mentally. <laughs> that was in 2002. I graduated my bachelor's, and uh, that was right after 9/11. I had a bunch of friends who like were my age or a little bit older who had like tried to get jobs and like you know that either had just been fired before they turned up because everyone was laying people off. Like that was that was like um, a recession before the GFC, but that was like a re- reasonably serious recession. So I sort of decided. Yeah. I didn't take a gap year. I really wanted to do that. And maybe I'll just like take some time and think about what I can do next and where I should go work. Um, So I I spent half a year wandering around the world with a good friend of mine, Margaret, and we went to like the Greek islands and um, just had a fabulous time exploring. Um, And then I ended up in Singapore waiting to go to India to visit another girlfriend. And I ended up having my appendix out, which was like just a amazing travel adventure disaster and I do not recommend it but I was very lucky that I was in Singapore and not India by the time I had to have it out yeah um and then I ended up in Australia after that um uh thinking I would be here to hang out with some family for six weeks um but I was then recovering from having had the surgery and just kind of feeling a bit shit and a bit like oh god what do I do and I just spent all of my money to pay for this surgery because of American health insurance and um, so I got here and I was like, okay, maybe it's not six weeks, maybe it's six months. Um, and my dad's cousin said, oh, look, I've got a mate. He's got a software company and I know they need some QA testers. So why don't you go and just do a couple weeks with them and just earn some cash? I was like, sure. And I was there for four years.
0: <laughs> so I feel like that's the classic, like anyone coming to Australia It's Like I was meant to be there for three weeks and now it's been three years. Like it's a very, like an Australian story to like anyone here.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's quite funny to think about like how that happened. I actually, I, I saw um, a bunch of the people from this job, like recently um, at a get together and I was like, it's just bizarre to think that that happened and and that like, you know, i I got very interested in a lot of things at that stage. I have like, um, it was a software company building like this, uh, like accountancy software, like maybe think of it as like kind of a little bit proto zero or proto mile, but like they had this whole like projecting expenses feature that they were trying to like make their big, you know, like the can't pass it feature. Um, But I I had a lot of opinions about, like, the interpretability and the usability of this design. And, like, it was very much, like, by accountants, for accountants. And, as you know, like, that's – and this is, like, you know, back in the early 2000s before, like, the sort of app revolution had happened and before, like, design was really on everyone's mind. So I was kind of, like, building up this intuition that, like, there was this thing which was the abstraction layer between the machine and people which, like, was just as important and, like, we were really getting it wrong. Um, And that made me really – interested in this whole world of like, um, interface design. And I went back to school and did a master's in what was multimedia at the time, because again, this was before like people had UX courses or like interface design courses, even like I looked for that and it didn't exist yet. So, um, I I continued working at this job and studying part-time. Um, and that's why I was there for four years. Um, but it was fascinating. I, felt good by the end that I had like sort of formalized that intuition that I was like oh yeah you had all of these like feelings about what was happening and like now you have a vocabulary to talk about them
0: so that was like you know (laughs) there's something kind of satisfying in that arc that is yeah like especially I think terms and terminology in general is just such a big part of almost every single thing right like it doesn't matter what like area of expertise like medicine like tech whatever else it might be but especially with like tech and like I think especially in data it's like everyone has their own little term depending on where you've learned it like for like things like statistics and stuff at least because I mean I I remember like someone be like oh have you done xyz and I'm like no (laughs) what are those words let me go google it I'll google it and I'm like this sounds very familiar and I usually end up then calling one of my friends from college and I'm like hey does this sound familiar and she's like oh yeah, that's this. And I'm like, oh, I know what that is now. That makes sense because we'll use the same terminology. But yeah, terminologies are just so different and bizarre. And it's interesting that like you were kind of trying to figure it out even before it was a thing. And you're kind of at that precipice of like where it's all starting to become a thing for UX at least.
1: Yeah. And like, so I did a lot of things while I was in that company. Like I started off doing like QA. It was literally like manual QA. Like we had a spreadsheet and we were like punching in numbers and then like seeing if like the equation was like, Putting out the same result as like what we got on the view, so like it was like literal manual QA, and then I did like SQL query injection support, which was like a weird little world. It's like I've done a lot of strange things, and I, I still think, oh yeah, I spent like three weeks just like supporting people writing formatting their SQL queries without even like understanding SQL. <laughs> that was great. Um, But I ended up doing, I'd say like a reasonable chunk of my time there was writing help documentation. And that's a really interesting entry into design, right? Because when you're writing help, you're kind of responding to all these problems you're seeing on the support side. Where people are like trying and failing to do the thing they want to do. And they're trying to write help to support them. And then you're kind of thinking, but maybe there's a better way. (laughs) Maybe like instead of trying to read through like my 60 pages of documentation, the design should itself like take you on that journey and like help you find the features you're trying to use or help you understand what it is you're being shown um yeah so that was that was very much my like journey into interface design it was kind of like being in this world where i was like i just I, i feel like there's a better way but i don't really quite have the vocabulary yet to formalize that and then um learning a bit about it in uni and um, but I will say this, like I did that degree just to be like, I'm a person who can learn and I'm not an idiot. And like, I know that I can like contribute in this world, but like that degree, I mean, you know, no, no shade on Monash that was back in 2003 or four that I was doing that. And like, it was early days and like, it's hard to write a new curriculum, but like, I didn't learn anything in that course that I applied in tech, like, <laughs> not a thing. Yeah. Everything I know, I've just learned on the go. Like I just, it's all about continuous learning
0: yeah and I mean yeah look and that's everyone so far has kind of said the same thing where a degree essentially is just the ability to learn in a place and how do you learn well and all those kind of aspects of it and I think not even just that but like I know people who did computer science degrees whether it's from Monash or anywhere else and they're all just like nope I mean I learned a few things about how to do the basics but I learned everything I did on the job because it's I mean what you're going to be doing is the things on the job and you get better at it while you're doing it like it's just kind of a I think people need to kind of get used to the fact of college is helpful, but only to a limit.
1: <laughs> yeah. And maybe get a little bit more comfortable with the idea that people taking non-traditional pathways in probably know just as much, if not more, because they've had to like find their way into these skills without like, you know, any handholding, like they've kind of formed their own curriculum. And like, there are dangers to that. Like, I think um, I'm very much like a hackery applied person. Like I like, I'm like, I want to do this. I want to make my view like layout like this, or I want to work out how to like make things drop down on the mobile and like, just kind of work it out. And then like six months later, a concept will land and I'll be like, Oh, that was the box model. That thing was talking about. Oh yeah. Cool. Got
0: it now. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how I learned to like, have basically learned to code as well. Where it's just like, I need to go from here and I need a solution that looks like this. Here's some stuff. And it's like janky code, where it's just like, I'll just make it work, I'll hack it together. And then I'm like, right, okay, now that I've done that. Especially because I'm like in consulting so it's just like I just need a solution for now and then I'll kind of go back and like right let's optimize this actually make this best practice and how do we make it better I'm like okay so this is how you code (laughs) I'm like this is definitely not the way to learn it but it works for me I think And like if I know how to apply it it is the better way to go for me and I'm like that's what college taught me that's how I learn. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and there's definitely something motivating about, like, I have a problem to solve, and I'm, my code is, like, the tool, it's, like, the scalpel, and I'm, like, forming the world to, like, look the shape I need it to look, and, you know, like, I, I think it's a little bit snobby to, like, focus only on the, like, you know, elegance and maintainability of the code or whatever, because it's like, well, those are important concerns in certain environments where, like, you know, your code base has a long-standing lifetime, and, you know, you have a lot of people coming in to work on the code base, and, like, you know, those those concerns are, like, high up in your mind, but... Yeah. I've seen lots of code bases with like very small, you know, sets of developers working on them and, um, or it's literally just a proof of concept or, you know, yeah, people just need to solve a problem. And I'll come in and be like, well, there's a lot of other problems we could solve. And they'll be like, yeah, but this is the one I need you to solve. And I think, you know, there's, there's definitely like, a um, what I would call like a little bit of snobbery around like the elegance of code, which I, I get from some like software engineer types and you kind of go well i get it and i respect that you care about your craft but i think you do have to have some pragmatism about like you know the cost and the time and the money and like you know the the sort of amount amount you can move the needle like in any given engagement
0: no that makes sense so Right, you forayed into this UX world and mm-hmm. now you're fully getting into the UX side of things and actually getting involved in more of a job front as well.
1: Yeah, so after after I finished that master's and then I left the software company, so I was in-house at first, I kind of got into the digital agency land for a bit. So I was there, I, I, I worked at a couple different um, digital agencies as like a freelancer and then I stayed at one as like the lead designer for a while and it was at that job that I moved kind of from a purely like design skill set into really like a hybrid design and front end skill set. Um, so like, I've always been interested in like the, the code that makes the thing look the way it looks as opposed to the code that like pulls the data from the server. That was always like the thing that like piqued my interest at least at first. Um, although now I'm playing purely with databases. So who knew (laughs) I was getting there in the end anyway. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I worked, I worked in digital agencies. Um, that's that's got like a lot of really good sort of practical constraints because you have like a really fixed budget you have to smash stuff out for your clients they really don't care about best practices you know like to the point we were just making like they don't know and they don't care they just want you to like get their website live and for it to not fall over and that's like kind of the extent of like success failure metrics um so that that was good from a point of view of just like doing a lot and, you know, being dumped into a lot of code bases consecutively and kind of seeing how people had tackled their problems and, um, and getting a vibe for like CMSs, which is like a whole world. And it's a world that I'm very happy to let go (laughs) again Like it's, it's really, it's, it's rough, man. Like WordPress and I mean, Squarespace now people are into, but there's, there's so many of them and there's so many templating languages and they've all got this like weird domain specific language. And it's just kind of this like abstraction layer hell you kind of go oh like like it's it's a strange world because like you have to become very specifically shaped to get very good at it like you have to really go down the rabbit hole into like the templating languages or the domain um like i've looked at some joomla stuff and yeah like there's so many so many variations on a theme depending on which language like which code base you're on Um, um but yeah it's I'm very empathetic to people working in that space and I'm very like glad to not be doing it anymore. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Like it's,
0: it's, it's, <laughs> I like hard, it. it's
1: hard to like add a lot of value because you're just like constantly kind of putting out fires and trying to like keep things like roughly standing up. Um, and a lot of these code bases are, um, you know, like you've got a lot of her- uh, legacy code that you're inheriting and you often have like um, these kind of big unwieldy user generated sites that there have been plugging away with their CMS forever, and um, yeah, so it's it's that's a whole world, so I did digital agency stuff for a while, and then I was getting restless again, and I ended up hopping over into startups, um, and so s- subsequently, since like being uh, digital agency land, I've been mostly working in early stage startups, um, and that's been, I want to say close to 10 years now, um, again, dating oh, myself wow. a lot, um, <laughs> please, please don't judge me on my age
0: (laughs) no one would be doing like especially when it's like I think it's interesting how I mean I say this I tried a hundred different things before I got to where I wanted um I don't even know where I wanted is gonna be or is or whatever it might be um but it's just funny I mean like I try like it's kind of the same thing right except you actually properly tried them where I'm like I looked at it and I'm like nah (laughs) like actuarial science at a degree I'm like "Mm, I think I've seen what I do in this degree and I don't want to do this (laughs) people's mortality rates on a daily basis no thank you I'm gonna move past that but no I I think it's interesting and I think there's so much merit in trying different things and giving it a full shot you're like right this is what it's interesting to me right now and then like you said if you're getting restless time to move on because we can we can have those like multiple different careers in different places Mm. and see where we go with it
1: totally and this, like, this ties in really nicely to one of my personal like, bugbears, which if you'll excuse me, I'd like to share for a second, which is that... Um,
0: Go for it. I
1: really genuinely believe in like, continuous learning and the idea that your skill set should evolve. And, that, um, and one of the reasons I have a lot of problems with um, really like, highly dogmatic project management software like Atlassian stuff is that it doesn't have any like, conceptual room for people to grow and change in their role. It's like, are you doing QA? That's what you're going to do forever. And you're just going to keep doing the tickets like this. And, you know, it's kind of like very on rails. And my entire experience is being like the opposite of that. Like this kind of like ugly, washy mess of like different roles and kind of like being like, oh, I need to have this hat on right now. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll do that for a while. Um, but like that's, that to me is like exciting and challenging. And I think many people would probably feel that if they had the opportunity to. And I'm, I'm not really excited by like this idea of these really like highly siloed roles that like you know never the twain shall meet never there's no crossover and there's no idea of like this kind of growing into another role or like expanding your interest set or being like you know i might be um i don't know i might be a data schema designer but like be really interested in accessibility and like those two things might have some really interesting crossover um but like a lot of these these team management tools seem to like be like no, this is how you sit so that's, yeah. that's I, I know it's a little bit of a weird side note, but like I've been thinking about it a lot recently and like I I very much want to like bang the drum that we should be making room for people to like grow in their skill sets and like let them have sort of sub-expertises or sub-specialties and that, that's, that looks like maturity and growth um, in a good way, not like in a bad way.
0: That is a very interesting, I think I don't think I've heard anyone put it like that. And I'm just listening to that and I'm like, oh is it so I keep thinking like why did I like I always said like I wanted to do consulting straight out of college like that was something I knew I wanted and uh, it was just because like the varied experience and I never realized until kind of now where I'm just like oh now it makes sense like, it's putting words to kind of what I knew but didn't know how to say where it's just like I like the challenge of different things and it just helps you keep developing different skill sets like especially with tech consulting where you're like okay come in this is our tool set like this is what we use fix it like Mm. let me go um pretend to learn this very quickly (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we can figure it out but like it that's a very interesting point and I think oh we're gonna have to talk about this much more at some stage Mm. (laughs) I think it's a lot to talk about there and it's a good point to be like yep this is something we should be focusing on a lot more to try and develop that out
1: yeah and and to maybe like I, I recognize that people who are using like really highly structured JIRAs, for instance, um, like they tend to be bigger companies with like lots and lots of people. And I think that's probably also like corresponds neatly with the companies that are like more dogmatic about what their roles are and who, who can do what. Um, but yeah, anyway, I come from like small startups and I come from like this, this sort of, um, I guess ideology that like high trust and high agency is like the best way to work. Um, and that's like my, my personal vibe is that like, I like to be trusted as an adult. I like to be given like, you know, this is the, the shape of the problem we're trying to solve, but I, I don't have strong opinions about like what the solution shape is. And I need you to go and like do some thinking and do some research and like come back with some ideas for me to explore with you. Um, but, but yeah, I think like that's, that's also why I just fit nicely into smaller teams because I like, I like that vibe and I find it hard when people are too like, you know, this is where it starts and this is where it ends and that's what you get to play with and that's it.
0: Yeah. And I think we kind of talked about this at a recent Women Who Code about like kind of career planning and things like that. I very much locked into a great company to start working in my career with um and it was a small company and they trusted people and I was just blindingly shocked at the amount of trust they kind of put in like I mean I remember on my first day starting there they're like so this is the Power BI I'm like what's Power BI they're like it's a reporting thing I'm like that would have been handy in college uh <laughs> but like our whole internal reports and everything of, like, what our financials were like, what our sales revenue, were, every, our pipelines, everything was just there. And they're like, yep, it's here. If you ever need to look at it for some reason, go for it. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> understand that. Like, this makes That's no sense compared. to me. And <laughs> it's just like, because um, I did my internship at EY, which is like the complete opposite end of things, right? And you're like, oh dear God. But, and I did lock into it, and I'm like, it really did talk. Top- me teach me uh, English would be great to be taught um but it did teach me kind of what I value in a company and a place of work of that trust and just the kind of comfortable of like hey we know you'll get the job done there's 40 hours in a week do it whatever you want wherever you can do it we don't care it's just like this is a whole new world and like people mm. cared and the culture was growing there was support and I like so many people will just. And that was the conscious career planning bit, where it's like that is. It's hard to find those things, right? It's hard to figure out what you value until you've either been through the negative parts or the positive parts. Like I was lucky; I got through the positive sides of it. Where like, oh, okay, this is this is important. <laughs> but yeah, now it's so important going forward, especially like for people kind of moving into tech, having a first career experience to be negative or in like a really unsupportive place can be such a big turn around and it's just Mm. like nah, this is not for me and it it's sad how often that has happened in the past and can happen very easily.
1: I mean I should share that like my when I finished my degree and I went to agency land like my first probably like year was um pretty bad and I had like a really bad work experience that nearly made me quit but then I got lucky with my next boss but um yeah like I did I did the I finished my master's I did like this contract um at census doing like ad setting for the yellow pages because I just needed to make some cash and like i had been trying to get my foot in the door doing design at an agency but I wasn't getting any luck so I was like okay I'll just do this for now and then um through networks at that job someone was like oh I know this little digital agency go like put your name in I know they're looking for a junior designer so like I got in and I was like this is amazing um it was I I had this lovely mentor there who taught me a ton and I like she was lovely but the bosses were like really toxic it was a disaster it was like an actual disaster I can't tell you how like shocking it was to me like they would have these fights where they would be like everyone go get a coffee and don't come back for an hour and like they would just scream at each other as we were leaving the office like it was really hectic and it was like an open plan room with like eight of us and it was just this it was it was wild like it was like one of the bosses was like kind of like this you know like people who are like kind of an emotional roller coaster he'd be like really high and really friendly and happy and like everything would be sweet and He'd like bring us treats and stuff and it'd be like, oh my God, everything is great. And then when he was in a bad mood, like everything would just be like a disaster. And yeah, like my first six months of that job, like to be totally blunt, I went back to my car and cried for like half an hour every day. Like I just had like the worst time. I was just like, I'm terrible. I'm never going to be able to code properly. Like, um, you know, this this like boss hates me. He thinks I'm terrible at what I'm doing. And I just like really didn't feel adequate. Um, and it's only with, like, many years' experience and enough time to process it that I was, I'm i able to look back and be like, no, that was an incredibly toxic workplace and none of that was your fault. And you were just, like, unlucky that the first gig you had that was, like, the right job title was just, like, the worst bosses you could have possibly found. Um, and this yeah. is the weird thing about, like, little companies is that they're either amazing or they're a disaster and there doesn't seem to be a lot in the middle, right? Like, there's yeah <laughs> and can't, there is no
0: halfway it's yeah. so weird but there really isn't it's one or the other like
1: totally yeah so that wasn't much fun but I I will say like when I started to finally like find my feet a little bit I learned a ton um and I definitely like built a lot of skills and I didn't didn't like I wouldn't have called it wasted time but um But yeah, just from like, to your point about people having their bad first experience, like I definitely had like a couple months of being like, did I just like, did I just like make a ton of terrible decisions? And like, you know, should I be in this career? Did I, what? why did I do that master's? What am I doing with my life? Is there any value to me being here? Like, should I, you know, like I was just having that like terrible, like negative self talk every day, just being like, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Um, yeah, but I'm very lucky because the next job I had was this lovely boss and he like really nurtured me. And he also like just gave me a ton of positive reinforcement. And I think like when you've had a bad time, like you really need that. You were like, I just need someone to validate me and make me feel like I'm okay. Um, yeah, so that was, that was, um, I will say like just a shout out to Kevin, who was my boss after that, when I was at the studio, um, that was like a, it was a overflow studio for... A creative recruitment agency which is a weird business model but it was basically like taking on work that some of the creative agencies like couldn't get to
0: yeah um, oh no I love that that's such an important point and I'm so glad that you mentioned that like I feel free to say yes or no against either like do you feel like that feeling of like what have I done have I really made the right decision ever go away like I'm very comfortable where I am and I'm very happy as to where I am and yet there's times where I'm like what am I doing <laughs> like what do I really do in my life? Like, there's definitely, like, that kind of always just happens. Like, does that go away? I mean, I don't know if I'm asking for myself or just gen <laughs> in general, but here we are.
1: <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I've had this like weird experience of being like extremely sure what I wanted to do for a long period of my like young years. And then like for, for like many years after that being like, who the hell am I? And what should I do? So I, I think like, at some point in my like late 20s I stopped needing that feeling to go away and just kind of got comfortable with it and was like well that's just like it's more it stopped being like an existential crisis and started being more like a a rudder to be like oh you're a bit bored like that voice is coming up when it's time for you to like learn something new or like grow into another skill set so like I think that that's how I think about it now is that like I don't. I don't ever expect to feel like, oh, I'm cooked. I'm a cookie. I came out of the oven and I'm done. Right? Like, that doesn't feel like it's going to be an outcome. It's more like, um, you know, when I'm starting to have that like that sense of, oh, maybe I'm a little bit like adrift, or oh, maybe I should be like working out where I belong again. Like it's it's more an indicator that like you know I'm I'm getting a little antsy and I need to go do something else. I need to like grow again, or um, or even that just is, like rethink it's... where I fit exactly
0: yeah that's interest, like that's such a good boy sorry I feel like you're just unlocking a lot of things in my own brain this time I'm just like amazing oh, that is such a good way of putting it like I love this because <laughs> especially when it's like oh it's actually not okay yes it's a terrible moment where you're like I don't know what I'm doing in my life but the fact that like when you start figuring out why that's actually happening and I'm like okay that's what this yeah. means let's talk it through like that's it's a good point yeah. I'm gonna go sit down and journal something tonight and just be like this is what my life means <laughs> yeah
1: like I, I think um, someone told me that like all the best people are those people who don't know what they want to be when they grow up, and like that really stuck with me. I was like, oh yeah, like there is this thing about like questing, right? Like continuing to try and explore, that like has this inherent like growth and ambition and like curiosity behind it. And I think that's like those are important like human yeah. characteristics to value, right? Like those, it's like some people are just like you know, luck into this is what I want to be and this is who I am and they just know it and, like, that's their path and that's great. But I don't think that's most of us and I think, like, it's okay to be, like, that's that, you know, I just wasn't that lucky and, like, this is my my path and it doesn't have to look that precise.
0: yeah. And I think I was talking about this with, I think, my mom or someone, where I was just like, I've gotten comfortable now where I'm like, there is no more, like, what is my five-year plan? There's no such thing. Like, when people are like, where do you see yourself in five years? I'm like, I don't know. Because I didn't see myself here in the last three years. <laughs> so no one saw this coming. I can't tell you what's going to happen in five. Uh, we'll see where it happens. And I I mean, I'm I'm very much okay with that, at least for now. I'm just like, nah, this makes sense to me. It'll work itself out. It'll be grand. Like, we have gotten this far. We'll make it through.
1: yeah like and it's like a meta skill as well like I think a lot of um learning skills in tech like learning programming languages or learning abstraction layers or um getting comfortable with the jargon as you say like a lot of that is like just about getting comfortable not knowing things and knowing that you have the capacity to know them so it's like you stop being just like intimidated all the time and you start thinking oh well what I need is to like work out this bit first so that I can like plug that into this bit and then I can like have a better view of like this this section I'm looking at um yeah and but yeah just just like like I've been reading a lot of um scientific papers because I'm doing like this fair ml reading group and like we're we're reading like mathematical formalisms and oh my god it's been a long time since I've looked at maths notation so like the it's this is our third year the first year I was doing it I was like, what. Theta, lambda, what the hell am I looking at? Like, I was just, like, literally just scratching my head trying to, like, work my way through these maths equations to work out what they were trying to say. Um, And now I'm on year three of it, and I'm like, okay, well, A, I don't have to understand deeply the maths formalism necessarily like what matters is that i understand like the proposal the idea the kind of core concept the paper is proposing and if i'm interested enough in that core concept i can take the time to work out what the like mathematical logic is to then think about if i want to try and translate that into python or something but like that's almost like it's almost like a, I don't know, like I'm going to be a little bit cheeky here and so say like, that's the secretarial bit. that's <laughs> like It's like the non-important bit, but it's like it really isn't the important bit from the, like what we care about is what is the concept? Do I actually think it's of value in this space? Like this is a burgeoning world. Like people are just writing papers. Like it's no freaking like everyone from Fang down to like the little researchers, like there's just so much happening and it's it's a little bit intimidating and you have to like, you have to like, not just like drink from the fire hose, right, like you have to like kind of direct your own path a little bit and be like, okay, well, there's a million papers here, but this one I think kind of fits into this thing I was reading about and that one seems interesting and I'm gonna like, you know, so like, that's how I kind of curate the feed a little bit for us as a reading group and that's also how I think about like how much energy to give any of these concepts because it's like, yes, I can do the work of like working my way through, you know, this like ridiculous abstraction and I will get there at the end. But that's not necessarily the thing I'm trying to get when I'm reading these papers. I'm trying to understand like, what are you proposing? And like, do I think it's interesting? And do I think it's worth testing? Um,
0: yeah. So yeah. That is, yeah, mm-hmm. and I think, I mean, that relates, like that directly relates into kind of even just like, like my like trying to figure out what my skills are as like a person um like and it's the same prospect right? I'm like I know I can do things and I know I can probably create a really like specific and bespoke machine learning model but I don't want to <laughs> like there is absolutely no need for me to go and do that when I could be spending my time doing something else or actually relaying that information out which is what I enjoy a bit more where it's like that communication part of Okay, you've got a problem. Let's figure it out. Let's how how do we solve it? Like, how do I communicate that back to you? And how do I make you understand exactly what your machine learning models are doing? And again, like it's really interesting. It's the exact same principle of like, and I think a lot of the teams here. I'm just I'm just like figuring yourself out. I'm like, okay, cool, this is great. <laughs> I'm like, you'll get there. I'm like, I'll figure myself out at some stage. Who knows when that will be? That would be a great time. But there is bits that are fitting in already.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's like I think the. Um... I think there's a tendency maybe to like zoom into technical detail because it's like comforting to some people like it's kind of safe Um, but like often especially when you're talking about something like a machine learning model like you have to like ask these kind of almost existential questions like what did we learn about and is it fit for purpose like can we actually use it to learn into the future right do we want to reproduce the patterns that we saw in the past and like I think your average like statistician finds that really uncomfortable to talk about, but that's like actually the important conversation to have, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, at the end of the day, all a machine learning model is doing is just calculating stuff, right? I mean, to figure out everything else, these are the questions you need to talk. I'm like, that's such a like last re- point of content, or context of anything, where it's just like, okay, now we can do it. But to get to that, it's just so much more actual conversations, and it's more philosoph- philosophical. Hmm. words (laughs) than anyone ever assumes it to be like i think and it really does play a lot into that but look i think Hmm. i'll come back to kind of where so you're in startups and you're moving towards your own startup at the moment like how where how does that all go in oh
1: yeah so so all right like i'll try and give you a quick a quick summary of 10 years of startups um some great, some terrible. Um, I had some great experiences working with um, like a couple of... I worked with a medtech startup um, that I really enjoyed. I had an amazing CTO who like taught me a ton about Git, for instance, and was just really patient with me learning the command line, which was much appreciated because it was not intuitive to me at all. <laughs> it took a while. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was great because I've, I've been able to do... Um, a lot of like fossicking and it's, it's kind of been nice to kind of do a bit of fintech. I did a little bit of like um, stuff with cryptocurrencies. I did a little bit of stuff with medtech. I did a little bit of sort of a little here, a little there. And like that, that gave me a lot of um, information about like what problems I'm interested in solving and like where I think I add the most value in a team. Um, But yeah, at the end of it, I had a really bad experience and I I probably won't go into the detail, like not because um, just to say, not because I'm, I think it's like not worth sharing, but it's not really my story. It's like a story of mine and a couple other people, and I don't really want to like share it in public, knowing that like it's not really just my story. But, but it kind of reminded me that most people funding startups are white dudes in suits, and I'm really sick of that. Um, and like, sure. can I say white dudes in suits with dunning Kruger syndromes so who need to like learn that they're not as good as they think they are? Um, and, like, I say this, you know, like, being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, because, like, also I've had amazing colleagues who happen to be white dudes, not so much in suits, but, like, um, I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, bash all men, but I will say that, like, there seems to be a, a kind of symptom of the type of person who, um, goes out and raises a couple million and, um, you know, thinks that they're, the next x for y the next uber for cats or whatever and you're just like are you though are you really like what do you think why why do you think that you've got some special sauce like you don't even have a good idea here um and like the company i was in was like talking a lot of smack about ml and like there was literally no ml in the code base and like i probably honestly like worked it when i watched the uh um the CTO or sorry, no, the CEO gave a presentation that was like, they were fundraising and he was like, we're just going to show you what we're doing. And he, he kept saying like, um, you know, like machine learning and data science and this and that. And like, it was just so disconnected from what was going on in the code base. And I looked over at the lead dev and just started giggling because he was like laughing at me. And I was just like, oh mate, getting myself in so much trouble right now. Um, Because like, I just couldn't, like there's a thing which is like fake it till you make it but this was like so far past that it was like just such bullshit and I was just like I'm so done with this I'm just done I just I'm it's I'm not interested in this world anymore like I'm I'm and like so to be clear I'm trying to build a software company it doesn't have to be called a startup like I want to I want to make like a company that can support me and my two co-founders um I've got these wonderful co-founders I've got um this lady Georgie who is um, based in Sydney who just finished her PhD in like machine learning who's been working in like med tech um she's super cool and Ellen who's um a really good friend and ex colleague of mine and he's a full stack and so kind of between us we have this nice little overlap of of skills and we're really excited about building some stuff around Faramel. um and we've got a bunch of ideas and we're just trying to like test out which ones feel like they should be you know, like open source tools and which ones feel like they can be something that can get productized or people will pay for. And, um, um, but yeah, like we, we kind of like don't really want to get funded and we kind of just want to like make enough money to build a nice little business without it being like, it doesn't need to be unicorn. Definitely doesn't need to be an Uber or like a, you know, a crazy big company. We don't need to take over the world. We want to do some good work with clients we care about. Um, and we want to hopefully build, like, a bunch of open source tools that everyone can use and hopefully find, like, a couple of product things in there that people will pay for that will, like, pay for the rest of the work. And that's honestly, like, the height and width of my ambition is just to, like, have a nice middle-class life and be able to pay everybody who I work with well.
0: That is, oh, I'm so obsessed with this. It's <laughs> just the most outstanding, like... A, I've talked to a lot of startup people and I've talked to people in startup, like not necessarily on the podcast, but like in general and stuff. And it's just refreshing being like, hey, I believe this product. I think this should be a thing. I don't particularly care about the rest of it. And like, we just want it to work and we want it to be able to be a survivable thing. And <laughs> I'm like, yeah. not enough people just say that. And it's genuinely uh, makes such a difference, I think. And it show- it goes a lot further than people assume it to as well. So i like, I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think like... It just it just doesn't seem right to me that like everything needs to be like you know world sized and scalable to like the nth degree. I just kind of feel like everything doesn't need to be that big. And um, yeah, like we're, we we like we had initially thought we were going to do a, a sensitive data collection platform, and that was kind of my first idea. And I'm kind of walking that back, um, not because I don't think it's of value, but because. Uh, like, to be totally blunt, I don't really want to compete with CultureAmp, and they've just got a ton more funding, and, like, I I don't think it's exactly CultureAmp, but, like, I think a lot of people will hear it and be like, oh, that's, like, CultureAmp for sensitive data or something, Um, but also because, like, I feel like our our strongest sort of value is in working with other data scientists and with building, like, technical tools, and, like, that's kind of where my interests lie personally, so we're looking at things like um, a data schema generator, which is, like, what what we wanted to do was like ask the question like how many sensitive classes do you need to know to be able to assess for fairness or unfairness in your machine learning decisions um so like there's like this whole world of like different metrics that are being used to try and assess for fairness but like none of them really work if you don't know the demographic characteristics of the people in your data right so like yep. if i don't know who is a person of color or, you know from like you know like I don't know, from Asian backgrounds or from African backgrounds or from other places in the world um, or other minoritized identities, um, it's hard to know if the decision was like in principle fair or not. So like we were thinking like maybe people need help thinking about how many of those classes they should capture and how many is appropriate to the sample size that they're getting. Um, So we're thinking like a data schema generator that kind of gives you like um, simpler or more complex uh, sub demographic classes depending on like the size of the the target cohort um and helps you like think through how much like cross tabulation you can do with that yeah sorry i'm getting a little bit weird and technical but does that kind of make sense no
0: but that is i mean it's so important and i think it would be genuinely so handy to have i'm just like yeah. that makes my life so much easier well, this is thing i was thinking is like
1: so much of the world is like people just kind of like inherit data from like one or multiple sources and they're trying to cobble it together and they kind of think of it as like this um immutable fact but actually like we can set intentions about what we need from our data and we can say well if i can get these classes i can tell you this much and if i can get a few more i can tell you way more um and like even as a way of like building the business case to say, well, we actually really need to go back and update our data schema so that we can observe these things so we can manage them because, you know, like the classic, you can't manage what you can't measure, right, like. Yep. um, Yeah, so we've been playing with stuff like that and we've been thinking about like questions of explanation. Like I have this idea of like a counterfactual explanation generator, which is like, um, well, just just to summarize it quickly, If you imagine that you are a person who's gone through a machine learning decision and you have a result, whether it's a classification or a prediction or like, you know, yes, you get the loan or no, you don't get the loan or whatever it is. Um, And you might say, oh, well, I don't really understand why I got that result. Can you help me understand? Um, You could take that same person and like duplicate two versions of them and be like, Laura, exactly the same, but make her a man. And then Laura, exactly the same, but make her like, I don't know, um, an Indian woman. So you could like basically keep every other attribute the same and run those two new samples through and then be like, well, Laura as a man got X and Laura as an Indian woman got a Y. And that yeah. starts to build that person's intuition that maybe something unfair is happening because they're suddenly discovering that with like a relatively minor shift of their demographic attribute, they're seeing a different outcome come through. That helps them then say, well, hey, maybe I need you to review my decision. Maybe there's something like, fundamentally skew with about this like sort of socio-technical system which is what people like to call it these days as opposed to machine learning algorithm like because we want to think about all of the people and the decisions in the system not just like the the technical artifact um but yeah Yeah. I'm I'm really interested in like how do we help people like understand and interpret for themselves like what's going on for you um yeah and I like it also because it's like a easy automated thing we can do as opposed to being like stop have a two-hour human conversation which obviously no company is gonna love because it's like super expensive
0: yeah oh no that is Outstanding and oh my god, I'm like Is that, Does that does that kind of make sense another... as a pitch? Like it does. No, it that definitely does. Like I think I really like the example of like if we change like duplicate and like how does it all work and how, like that real life example does help in understanding it. And I think I mean it makes sense to me. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure other data scientists would also make sense, but like I will leave the feedback open. So if people don't get it, like reach back out. We're more than happy to have more discussions around this. I definitely am, I can tell you that.
1: <laughs> yeah, like I'm really curious to hear if anyone like has a strong response either way
0: that yeah exactly and I think uh, this is kind of where like Laura is like me we were talking about this before we started recording the podcast Um, we're basically internet like Twitter friends and I've met a lot of people on Twitter and I've become a lot of Twitter friends and stuff but she really is a great person on Twitter so if you do have any questions or anything around this kind of stuff reach out like um, she will be happy to help I can back that one up (laughs)
1: yeah I have papers (laughs) I really do (laughs) oh look
0: laura i think we might have to leave Mm -hmm. it off there just so that it's not too long or anything but oh thank you so much for sharing i think it was just such a great way of kind of like it'll happen when it happens and you take your pivots and things happen and they all lead into something else that has led to where it is and i think what you're doing right now is just absolutely mind-blowing and it's i am obsessed like i think i said this but i'm genuinely obsessed like it just makes sense and more people need to be doing this kind of stuff anyway so i'm very thankful that you came on and talked all about it
1: well, thank you so much for having me and for
0: letting me wrap it on. It was such a pleasure. Oh, well, no, I love people who come in and are just like, let me talk. I'm like, <laughs> yes, I don't have to. This is great. <laughs> I absolutely adore it. Look, we'll leave it off there. We'll be back in two weeks time with another episode. Uh, take care of yourselves. And if there is feedback and if you want to reach out, feel free to do so. There'll be links um, on all across our socials.